This Meeting on the Go podcast is brought to you by the San Francisco Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. So, my name is Joan and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Joan. And welcome to everyone brave enough to come to this event. I understand that we had a lot of scheduling conflicts that we didn't know about. So, um, hopefully the word will be spread. Uh, Where do I start? Taking a deep breath is always a good place. Um, So November 2nd will be my 30-year OA birthday. And uh, that's the day that I mark for myself. That's the day um, I got to my first meeting in Overeaters Anonymous, and my life was forever changed. So, um, and what I can say kind of overall about that experience is I have never left. And my journey has been very circuitous. I have had many ups and downs in my recovery process. And everything about my life that is wonderful and glorious today, I attribute to the fact that I showed up on November 2nd, 1980, and never left no matter what. We were talking this morning about um, people we have lost over the years. And so in some way, I want to, like, <laughs> dedicate um, this, uh, whoa, this workshop. Is that okay? All right. Um, I want to dedicate this workshop to all the people that we've lost because, really, my relapse Um, Many wonderful things came out of the relapse process for me, but I think the most important thing that I am over and over grateful for is that it bought me more time. And I know that the common way relapse is held in OA is it's this terrible, destructive thing. But for me, I was headed down um, a seriously anorexic path And I had um, another friend that came in with me at the same time. We were both in about the 300-pound category. Uh, We both lost a lot of weight pretty quickly. And at a certain point, I started relapsing, and she continued down to 69 pounds and died. My height, 69 pounds gone. And I remember at the time being in the middle of the most painful part of the relapse, feeling so shamed, like such a failure, and having this momentary glimpse of, oh my God, I have more time. She ran out of time. The disease got her. The relapse, I really think, was the universe's or God's or higher power's way of getting my attention and saying, using all your old ideas about how the world works and about who you are in OA is going to get you the same place it got you before OA. So it really forced me to, um, to start doing a lot of hard work on myself. That if I could have gotten away with following a food plan and being a very nice, sweet person... I would have stayed in this very tiny lie of a life for the rest of my life. Instead, what relapse did is it forced me, because I could, I stayed in relapse, coming to OA meetings regularly, um, working the steps, doing service. I stayed in relapse for somewhere around three years. 
and um, and it was a terrible time for me. But if it hadn't taken that long, I never would have gotten to the places that I got to. I really see that the universe said, no, we're not letting up on this until you pay attention. And I was finally able to pay attention. So, you know, I'm kind of starting a little backwards, but it's just this group of us. So it'll, it'll come out however it came out. I don't like write down my shares. I try not to pre-plan them, but I try and keep a few lists handy to remind myself what it is that I have to talk about that's so important. So this is a list I made of what I learned from my relapse um, that I realized I couldn't have learned any other way because otherwise I was coming into OA and doing the same thing I did here that I did in my family, which is to kill off my real self, to put away all my feelings that didn't fit in with all of your feelings, <laughs> and I was being a really good girl. And being a really good girl, and I am certain being a really good boy, <laughs> isn't the object of life. It may have been what I needed to do to survive my family, but it doesn't get you the kind of life that I have today that is richer and more satisfying than any food I ever ate or any food that I hope to eat. And the recovery that I have today, the physical recovery, I think is a direct result of the emotional and spiritual work that I did. And finally having the experience, not having people tell me, but actually having the lived experience of having this rich, satisfying life. I do not need to get my pleasure from compulsive eating anymore. I just don't. But, you know, it was a long journey getting there. So, so everything I say is my story. I don't make recommendations for other people. I just try and tell my truth here in OA because um, it's a truth born of what looked like failure from the outside but was actually an opportunity for growth. And the thing is, it's not just in a way that we're kind of um, taught to avoid failure at all costs. It's our whole culture, and, um, and it doesn't work. Because by avoiding failure, I was avoiding, I would have missed 90% of my life. If the first time I worked the steps, I could have gotten rid of everything I'd listed as a character defect, I would have gotten rid of my whole self. I would have been a Barbie doll, which was my goal in life. I wanted to be a Barbie doll. As long as I looked good, I figured I was safe, because that was the family culture I was raised in. So, what I learned from relapse. All my ideas about who I am and how the world works are wrong. It's not about the food. It's not about the weight. It's about shame, fear, perfectionism, and recovering the parts of myself that I killed off to survive. Um, my recovery... Oh, my, my recovery is for myself. If I base it on what anybody thinks of me, including a sponsor, a parent, a friend, any of you all in OA, if I'm basing it on what you think of me, then I'm way off track. And uh, being nice is not the solution. Uh, having boundaries, taking good care of myself, and paying attention to my needs and my feelings is the solution for me. 
So um, that's a short list of what I learned from relapse. The other thing I learned was something that I heard at my first meeting, and then I kind of got seduced away from this important message. I got seduced by food plans and by um, uh, all, the, all that abstinence requirements and all the approval that we give people who come into program as 100-pounders and lose weight really quickly. I got really distracted by all of that. But what I heard at my first meeting is still the most important message I ever got in OA, which is that the symptom is physical, the cause is emotional, and the solution is spiritual. And later on, um, I want to talk about how you carry the 12-step within message. And for me, that's really the core of it, is to say that out loud at meetings, because I don't really hear it very much anymore. It was, it was a really big thing back when I came in, in, in the early 80s. The symptom is physical, the cause is emotional, and the solution is spiritual. Because for me, one of the trickiest things about being a compulsive overeater is the whole culture and everyone in OA, or at least the majority, support the fact that the um, symptom is physical and the solution is physical. And it says all through the literature that the solution is spiritual. And it's so hard to remember that because we all have such heavy judgments about what we look like, about what you look like, and about the importance of weight loss. So my recovery started way before I started um, losing weight after my relapse. So let me give you the statistics so you'll have an idea. And I also brought some pictures. Um, pictures are useful just because it helps, I don't know, it helps me bring things into reality. So my top weight is somewhere around 300 pounds. I don't know exactly where. And I also have, um, so today I weigh 185 pounds. My bottom weight is 125 pounds. So I was 60 pounds less than I am now. I was growing hair on my back. I was losing hair. I wear my hair short because I'm, I started going bald. This is from anorexia. I got nothing but kudos in OA for getting that thin. My solution to all my problems in my life became just lose another five or 10 pounds. I heard there were models that were my height that weighed 115 pounds, so that became my goal. I didn't know that they weren't real people. I didn't know that if you go that far underweight, so um, I went through early menopause at age 30 lost my period, went to the doctors. They apparently didn't know any, they didn't know anything at all about eating disorders at the time. They just told me, early menopause, don't know why, early menopause. Of course, the fact that I was like 50 pounds underweight um, was confusing. So I just, I can lose my place periodically. Um, so there's pictures there at my top weight or thereabouts, at my bottom weight, and then I put a picture of myself as a little girl in the middle because it's really important to me to remember that I was born perfect. That is as close to perfection, I think, as we human beings are supposed to get. And she lives on in me, and I don't have to get any more perfect than I am because spirit lives in me, and I think my work in recovery today is to unearth 
that alive person before I got shamed out of being human, before I got told that my excitement was too big, that my feelings were too much, and that my appetites were too big. I wanted too much out of life, and my family couldn't support that. that it was really, really scary for them. I did not come from an unusually dysfunctional family. I came from a pretty typically dysfunctional family with the one caveat that I had a mother who uh, was an entertainer. So we had even more than the normal emphasis on appearance. And your value was based on what you looked like. It wasn't based on, um, on, on who you were. And all the parts of me that didn't fit my mother and my father's idea of who I should be, I just, I lost, I killed them off. I remember halfway through the early recovery process saying to someone, I feel like I'm trying to reanimate a corpse. And that's really what it felt like. I knew there wasn't a live person inside of me and I couldn't find her. I had a very small life when I came into OA. Some people come in with relationships and jobs and families and, and they want to figure out what's going on with their eating and their weight. I came in with nothing. I had never dated. I had never had a relationship. I, was, um, I have been seriously underemployed and under-earning all my life because, as I used to say laughingly, low self-esteem would have been an improvement for me. I had no sense of who I was. I believed that I was essentially flawed and the best thing I could get out of life would be to somehow um, create enough of a facade that looked normal enough that I could pass for one of you meaning pass for a human being. I knew that I was essentially very, very flawed. My family used to tell me that. They used to say to me, there's something wrong with you. You're too loud. You're too excited. You, you, you're just too much. So what I learned to do was to become a severely suicidal, depressed, uh, secret binge eater. I also had multiple other addictions. When the eating wasn't available to me, what I learned to do was just not be here because being here was too painful. It was too painful to be dead. And then what happens is you live long enough and it's too painful to come alive. So um, that's a little bit about my history. Um, so now I think since my later stage recovery when I let go absolutely of what I was supposed to eat, what I was supposed to weigh, um, I, I just figured there is a God or there isn't a God. And I need to bet on the fact that there is <laughs> and that whatever this power is, is going to, if I one day at a time live as fully as I can and strive to be as present as I can be, that that God is going to put me at whatever weight I'm supposed to be at. So um, I have always taken great satisfaction from the fact that once I let go absolutely, I am nowhere near my top weight, I am nowhere near my bottom weight, I'm just somewhere in the middle. And it's pretty effortless. I don't pay a lot of attention to this. My attention, and again, for those of you who came in late, I don't advocate anyone doing anything that I do. This is my story. Um, uh, my attention has to be on being present in my life, 
paying attention to what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing. Um, when I woke up in recovery and stopped using my weight and my eating as an explanation from why my life as an adult wasn't working anymore, why it was so painful, why I had no relationships, no family, uh, was seriously unemployed, had all this um, life energy that couldn't find a way out, that all kept getting dumped into the food. Um, that was like the most painful, that was a really painful experience. I really get it um, why I had to spend so many years focusing on my weight and my food. Because when I looked at the condition of my life, it was really painful. I had no map from how to get from here to there, and I didn't even know where there was. But there was some kind of an alive place that I didn't know how to get to. I also, because the only thing in life I was ever allowed to be hungry for was food. I will say that one more time because for me it's really key. The only thing I was ever allowed to be hungry for was food. Um, I had no experience of what else I might be hungry for. And that was some of the work that my relapse forced me to do. So I've got another list here um, to kind of help anchor me. So this is what I learned through the relapse process about what I was really hungry for. I am hungry to be loved. I am hungry to be treasured. Actually, as I say that, I realize I am hungry to treasure myself. I am hungry to be accepted for exactly who I am. I am hungry to have other people to love. I am hungry to be seen and heard. I am hungry. I am starving to have my feelings matter in the world. They didn't matter in my family. They couldn't. It was too disturbing for my family. They did the best they could, but my feelings, my aliveness as a small child hurt them because I think they had killed themselves off too. So I am starving to have my feelings matter. I am hungry to feel strong and powerful. You see me today as someone who is in touch with my power. My, I know I have power today, but it has taken me, what, out of the last 30 years in recovery, it's taken me 20 years to even get glimpses of it. And it's really only the last, I'd say, five or six years that I actually get to live in it. It's so, it was so frightening to me that I used to kind of come out and touch it for a minute, and then I would have to scurry back in because I couldn't touch it. I am hungry for a sense of meaning and purpose in my life. My meaning and purpose used to be about eating, not eating. Eating, not eating. Um, thinking of myself as good because I had abstained from something that day and thinking of myself as bad because I had eaten the candy bar or whatever it was. I am hungry to discover what my gifts are we are all born with gifts. I don't think I was born with any more gifts than anyone else, but I am at this thrilling stage of my life that I actually get to live with my gifts. And the joke of it is that I am a, I am a much bigger person than I ever imagined possible. 
like I said, I would have settled for being a Barbie doll with no life but looking pretty and having people pay attention to me and love me and want to take care of me because I was cute. I would have settled for that if my relapse hadn't had other ideas. Um, I am hungry to be able to use those gifts that I've discovered in a way that's useful for the world. I am hungry for a sense of myself as separate from those around me. I, this was the huge gift in OA, besides that it gave me a community of people who understood uh, what compulsive overeating was about, and, um, and I didn't have to be as shamed here as I was out there in the world. What it gave me was um, uh, uh, permission to start developing a self and a place to begin experimenting with what I wasn't allowed to do in my family because the steps and the traditions say you cannot abandon me. There is nothing I can say or do that's going to get me thrown out of a way. That was not the case in my family. If you crossed my family, I got excommunicated from my family. But you guys promised you wouldn't do that, at least in theory. We're all human beings, so I felt a lot of negative energy in my relapse. I was a huge disappointment to a lot of people in OA. So I came in at about 300 pounds, or actually, no, I got to 300 pounds in my relapse. I came in in... 250s, 260s, somewhere up there, although I thought at the time I was the fattest, most disgusting person on the planet. So no perspective. I was not surrounded by large people. So I really did. It wasn't only in OA that I met people that actually got larger in me with, that, that really didn't compute. But um, So I came in here, and I just completely lost Oh. It was about how I disappointed people. I came in here really, really large. Um, I lost, I, I, I was so hungry for love and attention that even though I heard that wonderful saying when I first came in about how the solution is spiritual, at some point somebody handed me a food plan because we were given out food plans in 1980. In fact, that was... Um, Everybody was given a food plan. You couldn't be here without one. I think it's now up to people, but it was very, very rigid back then. So, and there was really only one acceptable food plan. So um, I was given that, and I did what 100-pounders do in this program, what century people do with a food plan. I lost uh, 100 pounds in, I believe it was 11 months. And, you know, that for me was sane because, I mean, I felt like a really sane, healthy person. Of course, I figured out how to get the food plan down to about 800 calories a day. So that's why I lost so much weight um, in a relatively quick amount of time. But that actually felt like a short amount of time for me because um, the only other way I had ever lost weight in my life was on liquid protein fasts. I lost a lot of weight really quickly on that. So in a way, the food plan actually seemed like a luxury. But um, so I got really thin. Everybody thought I had what they wanted. So I was asked to sponsor. I was asked to speak. Um, I knew how to be a Barbie doll. So I, I knew that there was nothing behind that. 
other than the fact that I had managed to stick to the food plan. Like I got really compulsive about the food plan. I just switched over for a little while. I knew I was drowning inside. I knew I still didn't have any other way to meet the world other than to use the steps like so many of us do. I used the steps to, um, as another way to hate myself. I mean, I was one of those people that, Well, I also brought people into my life that would reaffirm what I'd learned in my family, which was that I'm flawed, I'm sick, and I need to get well. That I am essentially flawed, so... I remember I used to have this concept of what life was like, that you had a list of everything that was wrong with you. And if you were a good, strong person, you one by one fixed each of those things on the list so that you could take them off of the list and then eventually you would hit a point in life where all the bad things were gone and you were this perfect person. And I actually had a psychiatrist say to me, I I didn't mention the part about bouncing in and out of psychiatrists and mental institutions because I was acutely suicidal at a pretty early age. Um, But he said to me, you know, it doesn't really work that way. For every item you remove from the top of the list, three more appear on the bottom. And I said to me, I said to him, don't you dare say that to me. I mean, that it made me want to just like explode. So I just ignored him and I never went back. That's how I dealt with that. But I lost all the weight here. I was put on a pedestal the way we do to people. And then one day I had a slip. I made a mistake. I went and apologized. I flew to Florida to apologize to my abusive father who abandoned the family because I felt myself the source of all badness so I interpreted the steps as saying that I had to make amends to everyone in my life so I went and made amends to my parents, both my parents for being such a terrible daughter and causing them so many difficulties it's going to be really hard because a whole bunch of people are coming in (laughs) and I feel very distracted so I'm going to take a deep breath does somebody want to let them in? because they're all standing there. I'm just going to pause for a minute. Okay. So, um, so I fell off the pedestal and uh, people were shocked. People said things to me like, oh my God, if, if you can't make it in the program, then no one can. And I looked at them and I, or one man came up to me at a meeting and said, Joan, what happened to you? And I said, what do you mean what happened to me? I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> what, how is this a surprise to anyone? I flew back to Florida to make amends to my father for being such a terrible daughter came back, I remember this so clearly, woke up in the middle of the night, ate a carrot, called, because I was perfect. I mean, I ate three meals a day with nothing in between, and I mean nothing. 
told my sponsor the next morning, and because I was in my early program recreating my family experience in OA, I only surrounded myself with people who were extremely rigid and punitive. So my loving sponsor, who was doing the best she could with what she had, said to me, you need to um, drop all your service positions, you need to go to meetings and start introducing yourself as a newcomer. You need to tell everyone that you're in relapse. So anyway, long story short is that one carrot, because of all the shame, turned into a three-year relapse. Put on all the weight and more, got acutely suicidal. That was the period that my friend died at 46 pounds. Got a glimmer got a glimmer that maybe I could make use of this since I couldn't change it anyway, that maybe this was not an opportunity for the first time in my life to start trying to love myself. It's so ironic. How do you love yourself when everything that you think is lovable about you is beyond your reach? So I had to discover new things to love about myself. I picked a new sponsor. Actually, she picked me. She moved to town for three years. Her husband was in the military. They got stationed here. She was here for the three years of my relapse. I know that that was a higher power at work because um, uh, she used to tell me all the things that were good about me. Finally, I had a, a sponsor who... And I, I used to look at her like she was unrecognizable to me. I would tell her, so I started telling the truth about what I was eating um, because I thought at the very least um, I need to be present and in truth with, what, with, with what's happening to me. And what she said to me, she would say, well, great, so you threw out part of the carton of ice cream. You did, and instead of focusing on what I was doing that was bad, she would always find some way of noticing what I did that was about aliveness and about coming into the world. That combined with these two women who came back from world service and announced at intergroup that there was this thing called 12 Step Within that, well, it started before then. First, there was... Um, the group of us who all started having the same experience in OA, we called ourselves the class of 1980. I don't know if all of us started in 1980, but um, there were a lot of us who had come in in 1980. So this is the mid-80s. Um, uh, being uh, cognizant of people's anonymity, I will just say that um, some very important person who is still in the rooms, started a meeting uh, over on 30th Street uh, off of church and uh, dared to say to call it a relapse meeting. We weren't on the schedule because nobody would put us on the schedule, but we needed a place, all of us. We 